G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Get ready for an interesting and engaging conversation over this coming hour. Change is happening very quickly here in Australia. In fact, the idea of a federal election, well, it's due early next year, but there is speculation it could happen by the end of this year. And some are saying that even tonight's federal budget sounds a lot like an election budget. Well, change is happening both at state and federal levels. And as is the case, ahead of elections, we'll hear of an old guard either retiring or being retired and the emergence of a new breed of politicians. So what is happening to Christians in politics? Well, you may have caught the news that the Reverend Fred Nile has announced his retirement from the New South Wales Upper House seat that he's held for almost 40 years. And, of course, subsequent to that, there is the parachuting of Lyle Shelton, the former Australian Christian Lobby leader, into that seat in November this year. Federally, MPs such as Kevin Andrews have announced retirement. On the weekend, there was that... Uh, news from the long-serving Liberal Senator Eric Abetz that he's been demoted, so not necessarily planning retirement, demoted, though, to a potentially risky third spot on the Liberal Senate ticket ahead of the next federal election. Then there's George Christensen from North Queensland, who has announced he won't be recontesting his seat at the next election. These have all been strong Advocates for Christian values. So the question might be asked, what does a new breed of Christian politician look like? What qualities, what character traits does a Christian need to bring Christian values into our parliaments? Well, you may love or despise those Christian politicians who have been serving for many years, but... Who will represent Christian values in our parliamentary chambers when they're gone? Damien Wilde leads the Australian Family Coalition defending the family and promoting a society grounded on conservative Christian values and aspiring to safeguard our freedoms under threat today. Damien Wilde is joining us through this coming hour. Damien, special welcome back to 2020. Good morning, Neil. Damien, always love our conversations, and I do want to invite listeners to prepare to be a part of this conversation. They might even direct where the conversation goes over this next hour, an important conversation to have. Just start off here, Damien, just coming back to what I was saying in the introduction. The landscape is changing, and it's changing fast. Uh, Retirements are happening, and a new election is on its way. Let's talk about the landscape as you see it right now. Well, Neil, you've done a very good job of um, outlining some of the the changing faces that we'll see over the coming uh, weeks and months already. Um, I've had the pleasure of meeting and and occasionally working alongside some of these people over the years. Uh, If I can just pay tribute firstly to the Reverend Fred Nile, who really, he's been in Parliament for as long as I've been on this earth. 
which is an extraordinary achievement. Uh, and I know that he has worked, you know, uh, stalwartly for the people of New South Wales over those four decades. So I'm sure he'll be missed, but he's well and truly earned his retirement. Um, having worked alongside Lyle Shelton during the, the marriage campaign of 2016-17, I can attest to the fact that Lyle is a very competent person, very considered opinions and a good Christian, and I'm sure that uh, he will give his absolute best to the people of New South Wales. And if nothing else, I look forward to the very, very interesting dynamic that's going to be uh, created by having both him and Mark Latham in the New South Wales Upper House. Um, I, I can see very interesting things happening there. The other one you mentioned... Oh, sorry, Neil. No, I was going to say, I was just going to reinforce this idea of new dynamics and uh, the interesting mix there of a Mark Latham in New South Wales politics, uh, which really has, I mean, he's got a reach that's uh, broadly right across the nation, but of course his uh, focus is in New South Wales politics, but the dynamic uh, and while he doesn't name himself as a Christian, he is a, a demonstrable example, isn't he, of someone who takes a conservative position and in actual fact finds himself defending Christian values, uh, even though he doesn't actually claim to be a Christian himself. So the dynamics here, when we talk about Christians in politics, very, very significant, Damien. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't think you know that Christians have a monopoly on common sense. Um, and I, I'd like to think that we've got a lot of allies out there in the broader community. So seeing those two and how they will hopefully work together will be a very good thing. And I do think, as you say, that their influence will be felt beyond New South Wales. Um, the next person you mentioned was George Christensen. Now, George has been an absolute trooper for all things um, life, family, freedom. Uh, just last weekend, he was speaking at the, the March for, for Life in Brisbane and he's been doing so much over the last few weeks and months to promote this idea of um, providing life-saving treatment to children who survived failed abortions. Um, George is no stranger to those sorts of issues and has done so much for so many years. Um, I, for one, will be very sorry to see him go. Um, I first came across George when he was uh, a councillor in Queensland and to see him come all the way to the federal parliament, um, I, I too think that he has deserved his retirement, but you know, not without a sense of sadness that perhaps he, he had more to give, and also that um, his words really ring in my ears, I'm sure they did with many, when he said that politics is broken. And um, I think that's a warning that we ought to take heed of. The, uh, the next person you mentioned was Kevin Andrews, who, uh, again, I've had the pleasure of knowing for years. Kevin uh, was a, a minister in two governments, the Howard government the, uh, and when the Liberals returned to power. And um, really, it's, it's unfortunate that his is a sort of forced retirement. When you lose your pre-selection, that's effectively it. Um, but Kevin has given the best part of three decades, I believe, uh, and has done so much uh, on life and family issues, not the least of which was overturning the, the terrible Northern Territory euthanasia laws in the mid-90s which was one of the very first campaigns I got involved with personally. It was one of the reasons I got involved with these sorts of issues. So um, Kevin will, will be sorely missed. Um, well, interesting. Just to stick on these words for a moment here, when you quote George Christensen saying politics is broken, uh, there's an interesting element here, I guess, for our conversation today because we're talking about Christians in politics and some are saying, well, even though you might be able to name a whole bunch of Christian politicians, that's still only a drop in the bucket when it comes to the other non-Christian politi politicians who are driven by all sorts of perhaps what we might call secular ethics. 
that when we talk about politics being broken, uh, some will say, well, uh, give up now, don't worry about Christians in politics, and some will say, what we need is more Christians in politics. What are your thoughts here? You know, less Christians because uh, they're all outnumbered, or, uh, or more Christians needed to make a difference and be a voice? Well, I've been quite fond, Neil, of, of you know, with those I work with and those that I've dealt with politically who, who share my faith, of, of sharing a certain parable with them. There were three servants whose master went away and left them some talents. And we know what happened to the bloke who buried his talents. Um, I think that's true of all who might have a vocation to the political life. Burying your talents, particularly at a time like this, would be a terrible thing to do. It would be a, a tragedy. Um, we, we certainly need more Christians involved in public life, and politics is no exception to that. Um, you're right to say that there has been a, a huge infiltration of um, secularist progressive ideas into the political world, but there's also a great uh, in-between, a sort of no-man's land. Um, many MPs who are just uh, of, of a managerial nature, um, and that means that there's a, a huge ground to be won. Uh, it's not simply that we need more good people in politics, but we also need to convince those people in that no-man's land that there are ideas worth backing. There are ideas worth standing for. I mean, Mark Latham is a typical example of that sort of person. Um, in the early 2000s, I was out there handing out how to vote cards against him for what it was worth. Um, and now he's someone who I, I think we need more polys to aspire to, to be liking their, their views. So there is so much work to be done, um, but it's certainly not a time for Christians to recoil from that process. The idea of the rough and tumble of not only political life but public life in general, there is a certain sense in which people are not necessarily rolling up their sleeves to become involved in a street brawl that's physical and left with bruises afterwards, but there is a rough and tumble. The battle of ideas is not an easy one. Being called names is not necessarily an easy thing. But there is a sense here, I wonder whether you've got a, a perception of uh, where you would see perhaps those Christians uh, in different denominations and uh, lots of people listening to our conversation today coming from all sorts of different denominations, but the idea of having a thick skin, being able to hold your own in the rough and tumble, that's a challenge, isn't it? Absolutely it is. You, you mentioned at the outset, Neil, that you wanted to talk about what this new breed might need to look like. And regardless of whether it's MPs or you know rank and file uh, churchgoers, I think those characteristics are largely going to be the same in in these days. We need people to be courageous. We need people to be fearless. Um, often we uh, are given the example of people like William Wilberforce. He's an obvious one. He had to have the thickest skin possible to to achieve what he did. But we pick examples in more recent eras. Um, Winston Churchill, for example. I'm minded of who, you know, in the 1930s in the UK stood almost effectively alone in his warnings about the rise of Nazi Germany. Uh, he was mocked, uh, you know, written off as a, a warmonger. And then, lo and behold, he was proven right. We need people to be fearless today. We need people to be courageous. And that's true, regardless of whether they're, um, you know, your everyday Christian or whether they are someone who seeks to serve in our parliaments. You mentioned that parable that Jesus told about the three servants. Uh, sometimes we talk mm. about that as the parable of the talents and uh, another one called the parable of the miners, uh, very similar. But uh, the idea that there is a stewardship 
And it's very easy to point the finger and say, that's somebody else's responsibility. Somebody else needs to step up to the plate. I might argue pretty well around the dinner table or over coffee or over a drink or two with friends, but I'm not the one who needs to stand up in public life. What are your thoughts here about people who have some of these necessary skills and some of these talents and some of these uh, these uh, virtues like fearlessness and courage that you're saying about our sense of stewardship in all of this? Well, firstly, Neil, I would say you mentioned those who may not feel that they, they have some of these talents. I don't consider myself particularly talented, and that's not false modesty on my part. I don't consider myself a particularly eloquent speaker or have any special skills, but I saw a need, and that's why I'm sort of doing the work that I am. And I think that if more people come to the realisation that there are these gaping holes in our society, then no no matter what our failings, we will seek to fill those gaps. Um, You mentioned, again, that that parable of the talents, and it's worth reminding people that talents has a double meaning. It wasn't just a, a coin of the ancient world. It actually does mean your talents, your skills, your gifts from God. So... I would really say that regardless of your talents, find a place to get involved. It doesn't matter how small it is. Uh, I'm going to drop another quote here in Edmund Burke on this occasion, who once said he made no greater mistake than he who did nothing because he could only do a little. So we may not all be called to enter Parliament. We may not all be called to be a spokesman for some organisation, but we can all find useful things to do. You know, we look at the example of people like Kevin Andrews, who lost his pre-selection. Now, if he'd had a few more um, churchgoers in his branch, perhaps he would have been pre-selected again. It's not hard to join a political party, go along every few years to a pre-selection and vote for a good man. Not hard at all. So there are so many opportunities just waiting for people to get involved. And you say, Damien, that it's never been a more important time than right now to join a political party. And here we are. There are no firm dates on the horizon for the next federal election. Uh, We've just seen a Tasmanian election, but uh, I don't think there's any other state elections planned this year. So here we are having this conversation at a time when you might say there's a lull in all of the political activity that's going on. And yet you can affirm it's never been more important to join a political party than right now. What are your thoughts on the urgency of uh, Christian believers in this sense, uh, taking heed of that thought? Well, we can certainly see the state of of our various states and territories, the state of our country and the state of the world. Um, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Things are not flash at the moment. Um, We've seen the aftermath of the... uh, the marriage legal redefinition in 2017 and the the myriad of changes that have come from that, which we will not see the cease of the ripples for a long time. Um, the, the gender ideology and, and so on that, that flow from that. Likewise, in the last few years, we've seen radical abortion laws steamrolled around the country. We are seeing the rollout of so-called conversion therapy laws, firstly in Victoria, and then subsequently we'll see them elsewhere. Euthanasia, um, is it's halfway across the country already and within uh, the next week or so my own home state of South Australia will be voting on that. I don't think that there's any question that there has never been a more urgent time for people to get involved in this process. Um, I, I only fear that you know people don't realise too late that they needed to get involved and it, it wasn't so hard to make a difference. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision.
Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. The question we're asking on Facebook today, do you think Christian voices in our parliaments have what it takes to shape the future? You can find that question at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Our special guest is Damien Wilde. He leads the Australian Family Coalition. We are talking about Christians and politics today. The idea, what does a new breed of Christian politician look like? Damien, let's talk about perhaps some of those who are prominently Christian, uh, some of those who are emerging and moving into positions of responsibility. Uh, What names come to mind for you? Well, um there are some very obvious ones. Um, Neil, you mentioned Amanda Stoker earlier from Queensland, and it's been fantastic to see her uh, elevated to her position in the recent uh, reshuffle. Um, she has been a, an active voice on behalf of the family in her relatively short time in Parliament already, and I, I think that she's got great things ahead of her. Um, another person, obviously, is Andrew Hastie, and to see his elevation to Assistant Defence Minister is fantastic. Um, he's been a very prominent voice on many of the issues that your listeners would care about. And I likewise think that he's got a, a lot of leadership potential ahead of him, possibly a future Prime Minister. Who knows? We'll see. Um, some of the other people, um, whether we sort of define them as Christian or not, I don't I don't pretend to know all of their personal faith, but I can only judge by what I've seen from them that their, um, their defence of life, their support for the family has just been extraordinary for such relatively short um, times in Parliament so far. And I name in particular people like Senator Claire Chandler from Tasmania, who has been so active in defending biological truth, women's rights, women's sport, all these sorts of things. She's been remarkable in, in what she's achieved. And Senator Alex Antic from South Australia, who was quite vocal over some really challenging campaigns uh, in Adelaide, including prostitution and also um, the recent uh, radical abortion to birth bill. These are issues that he didn't need to get involved with. They were state issues, but as a federal senator in his home state, he thought, no, I've got to speak out on these. And that's the sort of you know courageous leadership that we need to expect from our pollies wherever they are. So those are just a few names, and if we see a few more of them, it'll be a good thing. Can I just say, Neil, as well, that there's one lady today who may actually have her future decided down in Tasmania. Um, your listeners may be aware that due to the peculiarities of the Tasmanian electoral system, voting and counting tends to take a while. Um, there's a lady who's hanging on for possibly the last spot in her five-seat electorate, and that's Madeleine Ogilvie, uh, Labor turned independent, turned Liberal MP. Um, Madeleine has been a very staunch advocate for life and the family for many years, and you know, her future will probably be decided today or tomorrow. So if if listeners would care to uh, spare a prayer for her, that's probably a good thing. Okay, that's uh, Tasmanian Senator Madeline Uh, uh, Upper House MP. Okay, Uh, Tasmanian MP Madeline Ogilvie, and uh, spare a prayer for her. Uh, Let me ask you about the idea of wearing your faith on your sleeve, because when we name Christian politicians, uh, some of the Christian politicians are quite open with their faith, and uh, they get criticised and uh, dragged through the mud and all sorts of things uh, thrown at them and uh, made fun of, even made light of. Uh, but there are others who hold those deeper values and perhaps hold the issues of their faith in public life a little closer to their chest. Uh, 
what are your thoughts here for the idea of wearing your faith on your sleeve? We do need to see uh, people who identify as Christian as leaders, but not everybody is so open. What are your thoughts here? It's a it's a tricky one, Neil, and I, I've never been in the position of a parliamentarian myself, so it's probably a little bit rich of me to, to comment too far. Um, I've seen pollies who've worn their faith on their sleeve and then have, frankly, fallen, you know, fallen from grace, fallen from their positions, have, have done bad things in their political life. And that has reflected perhaps on their church. It has tarnished believers. It's a, a difficult thing. Um, it's very easy for those who wear their, their faith publicly on their sleeve to be pinpointed by others as displaying some sort of Christian virtue signalling. But then on the other hand, we shouldn't hide our, our lamp under a bushel. We know this. Um, there's absolutely no reason that Christians in public life should shy away from that and hide that. So I don't want to sort of be all doom and gloom. It's essentially, I think, about walking you know, that, that middle path, about not going to excess or deficiency. Um, I, I think you and, and some listeners are probably aware that I serve on a, a major metropolitan council in South Australia, and it's one of those councils that still says prayers. I'm very proud of that, and... Um, you know, I realise that not everyone that's on, on the council is a Christian, but um, it's not about me you know, parading my faith around. It's doing what I feel is right at the end of the day. And um, we need to encourage parliamentarians of faith not to hide their lamps under a bushel and um, just to incorporate their faith into their everyday life because at the end of the day, what they're doing is their role. It's uh, different to ours, but it is their vocation. It is their calling. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Damien, let's take a call from John in Tasmania. Hello, John. Welcome along. G'day. How are we? Very well, John. What are your thoughts for our conversation? Um, yeah, this is this is a, a very big thing at the moment. I'm, I'm trying to have a lot of um, open discussion with people that I come across um, in my own circles. Um, right now, um, there is a really big political issue um, right in front of every single Australian person, basically everyone in the globe, and that is these um, COVID checking, uh, tracking apps and things like that. Um, and even the vaccines that have been rolled out in Australia, there's, there's so much um, and not being discussed um, in political circles. There's not, there's not the voice um, being, being uh, raised uh, in protection of, of people and, and basically telling them the truth with what's happening with these things. John, um, I'm just hoping, yeah. Yeah, there is obviously significant debate and division within the Christian community around all sorts of issues to do with vaccines. And uh, I'll get Damien's thoughts here too, but it does appear that politicians, uh, they will, uh, they will uh, say that the uh, Therapeutic Goods Administration are the people who are the experts here. They uh, will give uh, that honour to those who are medically trained in this area. And uh, there is this concern, though, that the, there's another side of the story not being told. But uh, your thoughts at all here, Damien Wilde, on uh, where politics and uh, issues like this, which is not really a theological issue, vaccination's not theological, but there are all sorts of uh, conspiracy theories that come in around it. Any thoughts here, Damien? Well, it's not predominantly a theological issue, but there is, there is a small element, which I'll come to in a moment. But John raises an interesting question, and certainly the lack of what he might perceive as, as debate about this in political circles, I think, can be largely ascribed to the fact that if you 
have even so slightly different view to what is the accepted norm on these things, you are derided as a conspiracy theorist. I'll simply say this because I realise there'll be a huge divergence of opinions on this, but it's absolutely paramount to realise that choice must be the first and foremost principle when we consider all these things. And I think that when we look at things like passports and so on, they are incredibly worrying developments. They really are. The the aspect I mentioned, Neil, that, that does actually stray into the moral field is certainly the ethical uh, considerations of which I don't think there's, there's personally been sufficient discussion. Uh, and that's about the sourcing of some of these vaccines, um, remote though, though they may be from abortions that allegedly a long time ago, they are still of concern to very many Christians and I don't think that their concerns should just be shafted. So certainly there's a lot here that that has to be discussed and I don't think has sufficiently been yet. Uh, Let's take a call or two. Let's first of all hear from Sven in Adelaide in South Australia. Hello Sven, welcome. Hey, good morning. Um, Thank you uh, for having me on. Thanks. I want to thank Damien too for his work. I live in his council and I, I know what work is going on in the council and around the state and his influence on that. So I appreciate that. I just want to share uh, maybe a story and then highlight uh, some things, uh, some themes from that. Uh, just briefly, um, several years ago when the same-sex marriage plebiscite was coming about, I was attending an, uh, an, well, an evangelical church, let me just say that, um, and uh, I, I have some skills in that in the background uh, of uh, research. So uh, there was an opportunity to, uh, you know, talk to the congregants in, in the church I was attending to um, inform people on the choice they were making in the plebiscite. Well, long story short, I was persecuted by my pastor for wanting to inform the congregation of, you know, simple kind of a few hour workshop um, on, on the issue. And it ended up that the pastor who's evangelical was advised his congregants to basically vote the way they feel they should vote. I'm voting no, but you vote the way you feel you should vote. And I think just to unravel some of the complexity in this issue that, in my opinion, is that there's this notion that the gospel is about telling people about the cross of Christ, which is true, but it, 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 there's like, there's no, they don't recognize, many people don't recognize that, you know, there's other sides to the gospel and the whole verse, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Sven, what you're touching on here is very, very powerful. The idea that when we hear the Christian gospel, uh, there might be the story of the cross, but where the rubber hits the road is salt and light and the way that effect has on our broader community and politics is the mechanism by which that salt and light becomes effective. And uh, you've outlined that wonderfully. But uh, I wonder, Damien, have you got a thought or two here for Sven? Well, firstly, Sven, it's good to hear from a fellow northeasterner out of the whole country. It's good to hear from someone close to home. Um, look, I certainly resonate with your story. It's it's a story I've heard told time and again, not just during that period in time a few years ago, but even more recently. Um, the sort of issues we've been talking about this morning with regards to politics hold true for the church as well. We've been talking about a need for, for courage and for fearlessness. 
And we need to see that from our church leaders as well as our, our political leaders. Um, it doesn't mean we're all called to be blunt uh, and to you know, lord it over others, but we need to be courageous in telling the truth. Um, let us never forget that truth is a form of charity. It's a form of love. And we need to see that from our pastors as well as from our MPs. While we've got Sven here, it's interesting, uh, the idea of taking an opportunity to inform people or hearing from the pastor of your church who says, just vote how you feel. There's a certain sense in which the capacity for some uh, who have a ability to argue or to have a power of persuasion is one of those traits that we ought to admire and look forward to developing, even if uh, sometimes uh, people are arguing the wrong thing. Uh, what are your thoughts here for this idea of perhaps that could be one of those things that goes alongside courage, uh, that uh, has this ability to persuade? Oh, certainly. And I don't think people should shy away from having those conversations. The opportunities are limitless, whether it be at church, whether it be around the family home, um, you know, we talk about iron sharpening iron. We know that story as well. So let's have more of it. Sven, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316. Let's take another call. Arthur is on the line from Mount Druitt in New South Wales. Hello, Arthur. Welcome. Good morning. Thanks very much for taking my call. What are your thoughts, Arthur? Uh, look, uh, just a couple of things. Um, one is the other day with um, uh, the, the guy from the Christian lobby uh, uh, on Q and A, was yes. uh, was uh, sorry, was saying, uh, or someone said, not every all Christians, you know, support um, that particular organisation uh, or representation of the Christian gospel. And I'm just wondering how that affects. And the other quick thing is um, that, yeah, sure, we need we need the Christians to stand up in politics. But the the thing is, and of course it's all under God's control, but the thing is that in a secular society, it's you have to have a really um, good or a sense of being able to communicate that what God has to say in his word um, has, is not for, you know, the detriment of people, but rather to to help them to live more fully. And sometimes I think that that's a very hard thing to do. Arthur, now, great thoughts in there. Uh, let's just uh, tackle that first one first. And I think you're making reference to Martin Isles' uh, recent appearance on Q&A, the idea that there's a criticism that says uh, the Australian Christian lobby doesn't represent all Christians. Uh, anyway, I wonder if you've got a thought or two there, Damien? Well, neither can my organisation claim to represent all families, uh, but we are simply there to be a voice. Um, I've been before parliamentary inquiries where they've criticised ACL, AFC, all sorts of other organisations for not being representative of, of the people they claim to support. But we are there, we are voices, and we're going to speak up uh, without fear or favour. I'm sure that's true of, of all those organisations. Um, now, what was the second question, Neil? Uh, I think, uh, Arthur, it was around the idea in a se secular society there needs to be a sense oh, of yes. communicating yes. God's position. And, of course, if someone is well-trained in one field, they may have weaknesses when it comes to maybe, you know, presenting a godly position, a biblical position. But I guess uh, there's, oh, there's, a, there's a, good a good question in that. Well, that's certainly true. And, and I've been criticised by members of the Christian community for AFC not being more explicitly Christian. But at the end of the day... We are not here to preach to the converted. We are here to mobilise the converted to go out and speak into the world. We are there to be a voice to our parliamentarians, to policy makers, and to try and, and 
reach out to more Australians to show them that, you know, there are fellow uh, believers in common sense out there. Um, going even beyond that, I would point to the fact that so many of the issues that we care deeply about, issues affecting life, uh, family, marriage and so on, at the end of the day, I'm going to say a really hard truth here. They may not cut, they may not appeal to as many uh, of the broader Australian community as we think. And that's true of people both on our side and those who hold a completely opposing view. I'll give you a case in point. Euthanasia over the years, there have been uh, political parties formed under the banner of pushing voluntary euthanasia. Their votes have been absolutely pathetic, which fly in the face of their supposed 80% claim of support from the Australian public. What I draw from that is that these issues just don't interest the Australian public. And therefore, while we, we care about them deeply and we need to be in a position to do something about them because they actually do matter, we also need to be able to understand and address the issues that do matter to people, which by and large are important things. Cost of living, having a job, putting a roof over your head, looking after your family. And I think to show them that a pro-family Christian approach can actually address those issues is the way to go. And I want to say thank you so much to Arthur putting a couple of great points there. Our talkback line open 1-800-316-316 and uh, just a little plug for tomorrow's 2020 program uh, where we will be uh, doing a debrief on tonight's federal budget and we'll have a panel our, uh, finance experts uh, and we'll be talking about the things that are presented in the budget from a Christian Position. So uh, look forward to that on tomorrow's 2020. Let's continue to take some calls here, Damien. Let's hear from Dee in Western Australia. Hello, Dee. Welcome. Hi, thank you. How are you all? Good, thank you, Dee. What are your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts, I'm so glad to hear the topic. Um, I'll first go into the word as the word of God said in Ephesians 6 verses 10. As we already know, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, isn't it? It's against Evil forces in higher places. Interesting what, one here, D. Yes, yep, you, you go. What, yeah. what else did you have to yeah, add to that? What, what, the, what the Bible told us, what God told us, we should put on the armor of God. So, therefore, the people that are in the Parliament House, which is our leaders in Christian, which I'm so glad, is our duty as the children of God to intercede on their behalf, to pray for them, to get courage. Like, when Daniel was with Nebuchadnezzar, he was faithful in his services well, because he depended on God. I pray that the leaders that are in the parliament house as the Christian leaders, they should not deviate from their faith, no matter what they face. They should just focus to God and do the right thing. They should not be a share whatever, whatever persecution they receive. Let us just focus on God. Because what's going on is the enemy does not want to see them succeed so they can achieve what they need to achieve for the Christian and need help from God. Dee, you're making some good points here. A thought or two from Damien. I completely agree with Dee in terms of, you know, the importance of, of prayer. It's absolutely crucial. Uh, and, and the importance of, as we've been saying, that courageousness and fearlessness, which we need to see in more of our leaders wherever they find themselves. And I was reminded of one final snippet, which I'll share. And I, I'm not sure whether this is from Augustine or someone else. Uh, I'm sure one of the listeners can help me. But pray as though everything relies on God and act as though everything relies on you. Good stuff. Dee, thank you so much for your comment. Just to pick up on something, though, uh, when people talk about Ephesians chapter 6 
And uh, that verse that says, you know, it's not against flesh and blood we fight, but against principalities Mm. and powers and forces of darkness in high places. Sometimes Mm. we have a tendency to think that principalities and powers and forces of darkness are all spiritual. Uh, I think if we were looking more closely at the scripture, we might discover that principalities uh, might be reflective of those ideological positions that are being uh, promoted uh, by those governing authorities and powers. Uh, that also may also have a physical sense. But yes, of course, people usually tend to think of the forces of darkness in high places and group them all under uh, one heading. I'm not expecting you to have a, a great response to that, but uh, anything to add to that sort of idea at all, uh, Damien? Oh, I think you're on the right track, Neil. I mean, you can't look at things like abortion, euthanasia, the destruction of the family, and not perceive that they have a spiritual basis to them. So the way that you've drawn that connection is, I think, spot on. And, of course, uh, that doesn't neglect the spiritual battle that happens with those forces of darkness in high places in a very secularised world that we live in. Uh, People will want us to think that there are no forces of darkness in high places, but let's go with God's word that there is a spiritual battle to be fought and that there are demonic forces that do want to direct things away from godliness. 1-800-316-316. We're taking calls. Let's hear from Ellie in WA. Hello, Ellie. Welcome. Oh, hello. How are you? Very well, Ellie. What are your thoughts? Look, thank you very much for um, taking my call, and thank you, Damien, for what you're saying. Um, I'm not wanting to be difficult, but I feel that Damien is calling for uh, Christians to be bold and upright and speaking, but I'm feeling that Vision is not actually catering for the voice against the COVID vaccination rollout, which I see as to be quite anti-democratic. And um, I realize this isn't the arena you want to talk about that, but there seems to be no arena where people are being given a voice on this. Uh, Ellie, good thought, uh, except to say uh, undemocratic is an interesting one because that would apply to an election conditions. And uh, and so we're not actually being asked at this point uh, to cast our votes as to what we think. Although if there is an election called and things don't go according to how we feel things might happen, of course, then our vote does count when it comes to perhaps a protest in that way. A thought or two for Ellie here, Damien. Well, I, it's probably a bit unfair of me to comment on my host because I think the, the comment was directed at, at, at yourself, Neil, perhaps. <laughs> but um, look, all I can say is for people who are unhappy with, with the forums available to them, um, start your own, find them, get involved with them. There is there is no limit, at least at the moment, on our freedoms preventing us from um, getting involved in public life. I know that may sound trite. But it's certainly true. The the very genesis of AFC was that I felt that there wasn't enough being done to support the family. So there is always an opportunity for people to get involved in the public process. Ellie, thank you so much for your call. And just to say that if people are thinking that Vision takes an undemocratic position, and uh, let me just reinforce that Vision doesn't take any position at all, but if you have some evidence that you feel may be important in the debate... It's not a matter of whether Vision is able to talk about that because you might appreciate there are hundreds of positions. Your your primary responsibility there may be to ensure that the TGA is aware of that position, the Therapeutic Goods Administration. And some people are saying, well, 
they're not listening. Well, uh, make sure that you've informed them if you have a different concern. Thank you so much to Ellie for your call. 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Philip. Philip is in Albany in WA. Hi, Philip. Welcome. Uh, Thank you. Um, So, look, just on the matter of um, uh, Christians being effective in Parliament when they have been elected. Um, Now, for example, um, the uh, children born alive. Now, the Australian Christian Lobby are working hard um, to get uh, signatures on that petition. Um, And uh, I think we Christians need to uh, get motivated and active and sign uh, these petitions, which have been professionally prepared. Uh, and to empower our Christian godly politicians and give them something to work with. We've got to all wake up and participate now. Good stuff, Philip. A thought or two from you, Damien? Philip, you took the words right out of my mouth. I couldn't have said it better. Um, we, Our own organisation regularly does that. Um, petitions are, are, are good things, and we do use those on occasion, but one thing I like even better is to get our people to MP their sorry, email their MPs directly. And when they hear from you know, potentially hundreds, if not more, of people in their local uh, electorate, that's a powerful thing because for every person they, they hear from, there's probably 100 more of the same opinion. So absolutely, we need to pile on when these issues occur because we can't expect our MPs to put their heads up above the parapet and not back them up. That is absolutely crucial. Philip, thank you so much for your call. And uh, let's squeeze in one more time as short. Uh, hello to Sat, who is in Liverpool in Sydney. Hi, Sat. Welcome. Hi. Good morning. Uh, just a quick reminder. Uh, can you guys encourage the leaders that the decision for making the country first? I've been here for so long and our country been sold to other economic activities. And at least our group can remind them and the value of human life and cost of living, if you remind them, maybe they takes a while for things to get into their head, you know. It takes time for things to get through, and a constant reminder is a powerful thing. Uh, Damien, your thoughts for SAT? No, I agree with your comments, Neil. I think that's spot on. Okay, Sat, thank you so much for your call. We have run out of time. Uh, We've been talking about what a new breed of Christian politician might look like. Uh, The first part of our segment, really more about laying a foundation there and wonderful input from listeners around a whole lot of different issues there that do actually give some level of empowerment to the thought that we ought to be involved and the idea of even joining a political party. And I know that Christians who lead organisations like yours, Damien, you will obviously constantly say that you don't actually take a whole, uh, you know, just a one-sidedness. You're not a, a puppet of any political party. What are your thoughts for people who are thinking, I don't necessarily have a conservative view. I'm more a Labour or a Greens voter. Uh, what are your thoughts for Christians and the way they might actually join political parties and how valuable that is? Oh, well, look, I'll, I'll out myself as an avowed conservative, but I have many friends in the Labor Party. I have uh, friends across the political spectrum. And I would encourage anybody who thinks that this is a way that they can contribute, you know, in no matter in what a modest way, to just do it. Go online. You don't even need to apply for a membership form these days. You can pop on, on a website, no doubt, and join the party of your choice and be active, as active as you can. At the very least, ensuring good local leadership in your area and having a say in who your candidate is. 
these are crucially important tasks because, as I've often been reminded by MPs, politics is not a spectator sport. It really isn't. Well, you could be involved on the front line and you can be involved from where you sit because you're a voter, but because you can sign a petition, because you can have discussions around your dinner table that bring a godly perspective into the conversations about where things are going. And I'll encourage listeners to check that Facebook question today and I haven't been able to reflect a whole lot of different comments there. There's been lots and lots of calls coming through. The question we're asking today is, do you think Christian voices in our parliaments have what it takes to shape the future? And uh, gone through a number of those comments, and I won't be able to read them out, but have a read yourself, contribute there, because a lot of people are saying no. It's a little bit pessimistic, in fact, uh, the, uh, the outlook there that's coming from listeners. So uh, have your own thoughts there. Uh, you're welcome to then engage with other listeners to the conversation that we have had today. Damien Wilds leads the Australian Family Coalition. Damien, there's always some sort of... Uh, campaign that you're running or petition that you've got. Uh, You've got wonderful resources that people can have an understanding of the issues around the debate. I want to point people to the website, ostfamily.com.au. Listeners may be surprised. There's somewhere around a 50,000 membership uh, for the Australian Family Coalition. A few new members wouldn't go astray either ostfamily.com.au where you'll be able to connect with Damien Wild. Damien, thanks so much for your great insights once again today on 2020. Thanks, Neil. Always a pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.